0: hey yo and here we go another episode of we talk music is on the air and in your ear and once again i am martin and i have with me the king of the casters he's mr brett podcast and brett we have one of my favorite things in the world to do is talk to a dame <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know what else? We have one of my favorite things to do, and that's talk to one of our favorite singers. He is a man who lives the rock and roll lifestyle through and through, as he just got off telling us. But uh, but here's the thing: he's got a new album, uh "Songs of White Lion." We have, of course, the vocalist from White Lion, "Freak of Nature," "Freaks of Nature." You know, Mike Tramp's rock and roll circus. That must mean it's Mike Tramp. Mike, how are you?
2: There's only one in the world. That's, that's right. Me. How are you guys? Nice to be here.
1: Wonderful. I mean, we're always happy to have you on the show because, I mean, we love your music. So we're happy to talk to you about your music and about really whatever you want to talk about.
0: So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got a few subjects.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the music, though. I mean, uh, your, your musical philosophy, we were talking a little bit about it off air and, uh, you, you know, it, If you were to put it into a sentence, what would you say is your musical philosophy?
2: Well, that it has to come from the heart and soul and not have to be for any other reason. Whatever benefits that comes with the success is another story. But you don't ever enter, you know, into, you know, music because of a of a benefit, it has to be a self expression. Um, as we spoke around, you know, uh, growing up, growing up in Denmark in the sixties and stuff like that. Denmark had gotten, you know, the full influence of 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 american folk coming in you know and and a lot of danish artists took that upon themselves and i'm growing up in a part of copenhagen where they were a hippie with an acoustic guitar on every street corner stuff like that and i was very early influenced by that and and before i was 10 years old i was a legit campfire uh guitar player and it's really never evolved from that. Um, and that's that's sort of what it comes comes back down to that for me, the song has to work right there. Um, I was never into oh, he, oh wait, now the big guitar riff for the fast guitar solo. No, can all my friends sing along? I mean, of course, I'm talking about a time before I even started writing songs, but just the overall feeling of sitting there with 30 of your classmates or your youth club or your soccer team or whatever, and everybody singing along. And that feeling I carried with me all through every step of, of what would later on become my musical career. and And it's always how I looked on songwriting, and interesting enough, even if, if I might jump too quickly into the next subject, Vito Broad and myself, when we wrote the songs for White Lion, we looked much more towards Lennon McCartney than Judas Priest or Van Halen even though the, those were both bands we love for the power of the rock and roll. But it would, when it came to the song, the song had to work there in the kitchen where we were writing the song.
1: So then when you guys were writing the songs, like and especially learning how to write together, um, when you kind of brought your influences and he brought his influences, like how did you find that it gelled?
2: Well, the first, you know, even just after three months of us have been talking about getting together, the first time Vito came over to the place where I was living in in, in New York, New York, he was also living in New York. I was just living in a different borough. We sat down and wrote broken heart the first night without talking or anything. He started playing a rip. He started playing the melody on the guitar, and I started singing. And that night, both Wide Lion were, were were born. And and formed and and our songwriting, um, you know, you know, were also born. And and to answer your question, there were no philosophy of who brought what to the table. In most cases, it happened right on the spot. And there hasn't been any white lion songs that has taken uh, very long to write. It's something that happens instantly. In 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 in. Either he feeds off me or I feed off him and so on. So later, later on, we had a short period where we brought stuff to the table. And somehow it didn't seem to work that way. It was almost that we needed to come to the table sort of fresh. And then Vito just started playing. Or I sat with the acoustic guitar and the other thing. And I started playing. And that's sort of where I, um, I'm sort of referring to the campfire thing. That's why, where I'm bringing, you know, have you ever seen the rain or, or you know, knocking on heaven's door? And he's sitting with a strat on the other side and then just making that simple cord a much bigger chord, and, you know, chunking into it. And then, you know, suddenly it's, it's like, wow, we're becoming white lion here.
1: And is that then why it's just so important that, you know, White Lion is just you and Vito in that regard and why White Lion can't exist anymore is just because it needs to be the two of you?
2: Well, yeah, in, in many ways. I mean, we, we were already about, you know, close to two and a half years into our songwriting. we had already recorded the Fight to Survive album 1984 with a different rhythm section and, um, by the time first Greg D'Angelo drama came in somehow mid eighty five and James lamenzo early eighty six, Vito and I have already become one person, and it's it's like we we were so much one person when it came to songwriting. i I, I don't recall a single minute, even maybe five seconds where we disagreed on any part of where the song was going to, going to go. And I think that Vito, um, I would already done five albums with my band from Denmark and things like that. So I'd already had Vito had played on a lot of tribute bands and a lot of Van Halen, a lot of ACDs, Iron Maiden, just rock and roll, but he had never written a song in that way. So I think that once we started writing together, he just felt comfortable that he was not st- going to struggle in having to compromise or anything like that and i felt just blessed that i had a guitar player on the other side of the table that just kept giving me you know gold and diamonds that i could work with in that way
0: i guess you have probably never had that type of chemistry with another person have you no very
2: unique it's it, 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 it's like it's like that one one love that only happens once in your life, a completely understanding of 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 where you want to go. Vito never wanted to do to do something that worked for him and not worked for me, and vice versa. When it came to the songwriting, it possibly also could be you know backfiring on the other thing because we weren't socially compatible in the way that we never really did any thing outside white line together. Let's let, you know, if, if the scenario here, here's two guys who, who write these songs together and says, Oh, let's put the guitars away. Let's go to the beach. Let's go to the mall, man. Let's go look at a car and stuff like that. We didn't none of that ever. You know, besides sitting on the tour bus once we were successful and and and, and touring and, to and around the world, et cetera, et cetera, we never did anything of that, and and maybe maybe that's also what created that special moment when we sat down and we weren't bringing in a lot of daily life goofing around on the beach or hanging out with the rest of the neighborhood, drinking beer or chasing girls or stuff like that. No, we showed up and we were ready for open heart surgery right there. We took it so serious that you could almost not come into our world. There were not space for anyone.
1: Yeah it's interesting because we I mean we know so much about the the sunset strip bands and how they had to like live together and just be together the entire time and of course I mean you see mötley crue I mean I picture them going to strip clubs and stuff like that so yeah it's interesting to hear that you you didn't have a like that that outside aspect to kind of I guess also how did how did that change your songwriting like because you didn't have these like shared experiences outside
2: yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. I'll, I'll get back to your, your question. It's a great point of how different it was for White Lion uh, growing up in, in Brooklyn, New York, where it was sort of the base of White Lion were a, a, co- a big industrial basement underneath our manager's club, which was a big club in Brooklyn, La Rock Capital. But in the daytimes, it was just Industrial. There were no signs of '80s. There were no. There were no. All the stuff that we saw coming in from LA, like you said, the Sunset, uh, you know, Strip. You know, the whiskey, the Roxy, the Rainbow Bar and Grill, Gazaris, all that stuff. That's Van Halen history. Rat. You know, Dog and Poison. All that stuff that is in their legacy. White Lion's legacy is 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 a basement in Brooklyn that nobody knew where were. So and when we would go home. We went home and stuff like that. So we didn't in one way we were a band of brothers. At the same time, we were not a band of brothers. Um, that we didn't share this um social thing after um rehearsals or or, or get togethers and stuff like that. And and um I think that's probably what when you look at the songs today, there are one million '80s bands. And when you looked at Circus Magazine, anno '88, almost you felt at the time it was one band just dressing up different. Yeah, but everything just looked exactly the same, and most records sounded the same. Most lead singers sounded the same, looked the same. Now, when you then dissect it a bit later on, and even with my re-recording of the White Lion songs, it is crystal clear how different White Lion stands from those bands that in many ways we looked at, we liked. But when it came to Vito Brana and Mike Tram songwriting, we weren't looking at them. I mean, I had come to America driven by my love for Van Halen, stuff like that, y- you know, and that whole thing what, that were represented that loud, visual rock and roll. But I was raised on Elton John, Queen, Thin Lissy, Slate, and, 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 and those kind of bands. And, and as soon as Vito and I started finding our own I- identity, We weren't looking at any of those bands. We were looking at our own songwriting. And when you now look back at it, we see the signs doing our four albums where we are diverting and we're probably heading towards bands like Journey, bands like Kansas, maybe even progressive rock and roll. Uh, with good haircuts (laughs) I mean and you know we've we've talked to
1: we've talked to like other singers who say that you know like it can even be a challenge to sing some of those early songs because the lyrical content you know doesn't necessarily fit a 60 year old whereas it fit a 20 year old but that's not so much in the case of these songs now you know I mean you talk about songs of White Lion and the song's are just as fresh now as they were back then.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know I me mean, of the, the most obvious thing is obviously, you know, that, you know, I wrote when the children cry in 1985 mm-hmm. just sitting in my manager's house where where I was uh where I was living and and here is a song which is about night Two thousand and twenty three. no more precedents, and all the wars will end, you know. and and along that time, and you know, the record company didn't want that song out as a single and stuff like that, et cetera, et cetera. But our managers fought off fought forward and and the song came out. And I think, without speaking for the fans and the industry, that maybe in the beginning, when the children cried, just became, another hard rock band's ballad you had home sweet home and you had had you know every rose has has his thorn and you had uh dead or alive you had you know the standard things so when when a guy when a band came out with a lead singer with big blonde hair and a guitar player it looked like that i think it just fell into and and people responded with time passing people dug more and more into the lyrics because the rock and roll fans of 1988 were not looking at what would what, what how we would explain to the children when they were crying of what we have done because 1988 were quote unquote party time <laughs> but the thing is as i mentioned earlier with my upbringing and with my my awareness um of growing up in Denmark a country at that moment you know under f- 5 million people i was very much exposed to daily world events um so we weren't just shielded w- within that you know you can live in 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 some some place in omaha and and your world is omaha I knew about the entire world and things like that at that time. So it just became something natural when it came to me that that was what I was going to gonna write and things like that. And the same thing goes with Little Fighter A Cry for Freedom. Those were just things that stuck with me. And from the beginning, I never wanted to be a tits and ass rock and roll singer. It simply did not appeal to me singing about something like that, even using, you know, as much as I molded myself around Davy Roth, I simply could not go out on stage and not say something that carried some weight, regardless if the people didn't want to hear it. <laughs> it's, it's...
0: Was it frustrating then to kind of get lumped into the, those other bands, you know, cause they, they, I mean, they look at you and think, "Oh, this is how we're going to market you like like we market everybody else was that was that frustrating at all
2: well I, I don't i don't I don't think it was frustrating at that moment because we didn't know any better. I don't think any bands at that time all all the all you know my competitors or my friends or my peers and stuff like that, all the bands that we we sort of are talking about we we're not going to get the chance to mention all the names. I think everybody had just gotten that one-way ticket for that fast train and everybody got on and all the things that came at us along the way we you know we tried to to um approach with you know the way we saw it but the way we saw it was for the first time this was happening in our life, we we didn't come that well prepared for that. You know, we, we could only look at the and at the bigger bands and and their videos and, and what they did on stage. And then you sort of, you know, you brought a little bit of that, what you're just seeing, you know, with you and 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 uh Now, looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, there's all these signs of, oh, yeah, okay, well, at that moment, you only knew so much, and you did that, and you opened your mouth, and you thought you knew it all, but you obviously didn't because you ended up doing that. And I think in many ways that record companies, managers, MTV, et cetera, et cetera, that were creating this platform for us to to live on was also experimenting it it was something that was just sort of like like the snowball effect it was just getting bigger and bigger and the more the more blonde hair and the more girls in the video and it sort of had a you know uh, the the feedback which for most of the 80s were very positive until you sort of came to the last day and then it was obvious that it had outrun its time and overstayed. It's 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 you know it's invitation and stuff like that. And 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 like I've said many times, I think that the eighties ended up cloning itself too many times. And at the end, people simply simply needed a break. And that break was called Seattle and its and its and its uh, you know friends.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's, but it's interesting because there's so many more. It feels like there's so many more of the bands from the 80s that are still playing today than of that Seattle grunge scene for the most part.
2: Yeah, no, I mean that's that's another valid point. Of course, like that, you know, it became one day white and then the next day black, man. You know, I've always, I've always made this joke about how I showed up for for an arena concert. You know, never mind the band, but somewhere in in the in the '90s, getting there a little late and stuff, like finding my seat in the arena and then going to the person next to me. Hey, man, are the road crew still doing sound check? He says, No, that's the band. I said, The band. Why are they turning that back to the audience? Well, that's how they are. And then I look at us running out, supporting ACDC, like like, like, just like an attack, like a, you know, there was no space for having, you know, taking a bre- break or anything like that. It was like, kill or be killed. It was the 80s attitude, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's and I think that's what
1: we love about it is that is that, you know, like everybody felt like you needed to put on a show because that was the best way to entertain the fans. But, you know, and also in your case, you just happened to have the music and the musical chops to back it up.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I like I said early on, I grew up with Bowie and I grew up with Freddie Mercury, two of my heroes. And the, for them, the stage was a place you entertained. You also sang and stuff like that. And I think that always was the interesting thing that I think that when Van Halen came around, and and that's the, the you know the, the, that that great story about how they how they uh supported uh, Black Sabbath on the first tour, and 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 regardless of Black Sabbath's history and and the part in in heavy metal, it was almost like four statues that didn't blink or doing And then suddenly you got Eddie Van Halen, you got Davey Roth, and you know the rest. And you know they come out there, and the same thing with Deep Purple. You would have, you know, Richard Blackmore just staying there, really pissed on stage, and 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 you know the same. Nothing went on. Great bands and and you know legendary rock and roll records, but then when 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 that new thing got introduced, people going, holy cow, man, what's going on here? And you know the hair got caught a little better, and the guys looked a little better shape, you know, and I think. To, The business was ready for that, and then 1982 or 81, here comes MTV and and allows for the country to see rock and roll in 24 hours.
1: So now fast forward, of course, to, to the new album, like what's it like going back and like, and like, how do you choose the songs that you're putting on songs of white lion? I mean, obviously there's the big hits, but then like, how do you like, there's still a lot of really good songs. How do you choose them? Do you, and, and how does it feel to rerecord
2: them? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to add a few things to that because the whole story is like that. That that once I once I ended Wide Line in '91 and I moved on. You mentioned early on my band Freak of Nature that I had for for a of three three albums before in '97 I went solo and I now have thirteen solo albums. And my plan were that that is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life because my solo albums is what my tramp actually is and what my my the my tramp the sat across from Vito you asked, you you were, you're talking about early on, what did I add to the table? Well, that, there you got the, you know, the folk singer from Denmark and stuff like that with acoustic guitar, the simple course, but the very strong melodies and, 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 and some lyrical content that you're, you're not embarrassing into your grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. But once I went out on the road for the first time solo in 2001 in America, Many of the venues had White Lion on the poster. And here I am showing up with my own Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers or Springsteen and the E Street Band. You know, I've handpicked a band that has absolutely nothing to do with the 80s. They can't play anything like the 80s and they're not allowed to play anything like the 80s. And as time went by and every solo album and, and sort of every tour around the world, the 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 line sticker was just put everywhere I went, and of course I continued. And at times I threw a song in that I you know interpreted in a different way uh, you know with the band. But I felt so, sort of uncomfortable because those songs really represented a a time when Vito and I had written those songs. Um, and and one thing would let go to another, and and then about two thousand five to two thousand nine, I actually were you know sort of both pushed and pulled in, but I also came willingly, and I tried to recreate a new white lion kind of thing with a lot of legal problems and stuff like that. When I look back to that period, I can see some very clear um, signs that I didn't want to do it, that I'm going against the music because it doesn't feel right at that moment. Now, when we jump to 2022, when I recorded the Songs for White Line album, I had been working a year on, on finding out with the guitar player, Marcus Nand, who was a who who guitar player on the album, if Vito Brada's guitar work could be played in a different key because there was no way that I could, or that I would sing like I do in 1987, 88. It's simply impossible. Um, And for everything to gel, we had to get that. And he returned a while later, says, you know, I think I can do it. And when we started recording the songs and I took uh, took, uh, the basic tracks back to my studio to do the vocals, I actually felt an enormous amount of warmth and, and really loved singing the songs. It's kind of like revisiting them, but at the right time when I was ready for it. Suddenly, everything made sense because I wanted that 23 version to represent where I am in life, how I sound, how I look, how I feel, how what I stand for in all those things. It had to get into the grooves of, of, of the recording or else I would not have done it. You know, the money is not that great for this thing. It is. It had to be because it, it would be a great result at the end, not not the last breath of a dying man well and
1: it is i mean it's it's a great album i love the i love the differences between you know the original and and now i mean because it does it sounds exactly like you and i and i almost wish that more bands would consider it you know and and take their current sound because it just it it almost you know it humanizes white lion songs even more
2: yeah but i can i can tell you one thing and that's and that's going a little bit out on the limb, maybe make myself a little unpopular. I am very, very different from most of the people I shared the magazines with. A lot of them are my friends. Uh, I'm not being invited for Thanksgiving, but a lot of them are friends and stuff like that, and we talk and stuff like that. But the thing is that I have a different life My life was not, White Line was something that I was part of. There ain't no singer or anybody from the 80s that has done 13 solo albums under their own name with a distinctive uh, sound that you cannot go in and dissect and say, well, on this album, he's searching for this. They're completely, they're my version of ACDC, another album of the same thing, just a different story. And that is always what um, my point and 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 my mission was. That I just wanted my tramp to represent my tramp, because then I don't have to wake up in the morning, and go, oh man, I don't feel like putting that kiss makeup and wearing these high boots. But man, they make a lot of money. That it's just not me. I come from Copenhagen, grew up in. I don't even know if you can call it an apartment. It was that small divorced family. My mom's raised me and my two uh, brothers. We had nothing, but we had everything we needed. And I wanted to carry that with me in my music and in my approach to life. I'm not a very good rock star hiding behind mirrored sunglasses, stepping out of a limo. I feel uncomfortable. Yes, I can go out on the stage on Madison Square Garden tomorrow or stadium, and I can do the show, and I can I can show the class I am, when I'm equally as strong playing in a bar for five people.
0: It's unfortunate that we're out of time with you because unless, I mean I'm I'm having so much fun. Unless you have uh, a few more minutes, it. I don't know.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, you go, ahead, ben. You go ahead. You go ahead. Let's we're get the okay. all right when
1: when you talk about that you know like like was that always part of your mindset you know to to be like equally as you know comfortable in front of the arena as opposed to the five people or was that something that kind of you had to develop after white lion
2: it's a fair question and i also have to be be honest with the audience that it wasn't always there it was always sort of trailing behind me and it confused me at many times of where I belonged, And and there are many signs that when I go back and, you know, we started this interview talking about the songwriting between how Vito and I did and then how we parted and what he did in, in when we were done writing and what I did. And, and there is a clear sign of my life, all through the wide line years and stuff like of who I am and right now I am back on, you know, I have, I have a, a, a big farm in Denmark, uh, uh, you know, uh, the animals are my brother, but I live in nature and and it's always but what I've been attracted to and where I'm comfortable. So I guess, so what I'm saying is that my spare time was always being very active, physically sports, uh, wrenching on cars, building stuff and things like that. And that was equally as important uh, to the music. So I wasn't hanging in the bar chasing girls and stuff like that. That's something that came along when we were touring. We were naturally in that environment where all that stuff was going and we all took advantage of that. But I wasn't driven or, or pulled like a, like a, by a magnet to that instantly that I had to be in that environment. And it conflicted with me at times because I didn't know sometimes if I could be that true rock star that maybe Vince Neil or Brad Michaels were in the magazines and and everything was always full on. You know, there's no... I don't have the uniform on today, man. You know, I'm going to do something different. It always felt like it was always like that. But for me, it wasn't. I needed so much of that other thing. And a lot of my friends were that opposite, uh, doing sports with them, doing mountain climbing, doing something to completely get away from that, you know, and recharge myself. Do you think, given, you know, who you are today,
0: compared to who you were back then, uh, if you and Vito were to sit at a table and try and write it again, do you think you could recapture that magic? Or do you think that was, at that time, something that is just,
2: you know, in the moment? No, I, I, I would be 100% sure that we could. And I, I have actually, uh, I actually reached out to Vito just to, to to you know, him and I are, are Often in contacts, it's been in a lot about some old white line paperwork and contracts. We don't share as much pleasure as as we talk business. Um, But I did write him um, about 10 days ago where I sent sent him an email um, and I've said it to others where I say, Vito, you know, I'm just preparing myself to go out into the world and performing the songs you and I wrote. I says, I know and you know that we will not be on stage as White Lion together. But should it be that you have the urge, the feel of wanting to sit down and do something, maybe like what Robert Plan and Jimmy Page did when they knew that there were no way they were going to reform Led Zeppelin, but they did something interesting. All you got to do is call. It's all you got to do and stuff like that. And 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 um, so in that way, we would not be a better white lion if we got up on stage together. It would be trying to find something that would be so unnatural. Um, I think a lot, a lot of bands do it and, and they have the right to do it, but are completely motivated simply by finances, not because they simply cannot wait to sit in the same dressing room with the guy they used to hate,
1: did you send Vito a copy of
2: Songs of the White Lion? No, I I haven't received a copy of my myself okay. yet. But i'll I'll, <laughs> I'll be I'll be in New York um, in in three weeks, um, starting the the uh, my May tour there, and and you know I have requested many many times that you know that we should meet and stuff like that. So I mean. I leave it up to that. There, there is always a little bit of danger when we talk about this, if, it, if things get misinterpreted. But I think that I'm, I'm crystal clear that I don't ever want to talk on behalf of Vito. I just wish that Vito would reach out and clarify things a little bit more because I'm the only one that gets the questions. What's Vito doing? What's what's this stuff like that? In, in, um, on next Monday, I meet Dee Snyder because we're doing some shows together in Germany uh, with a big classical orchestra. And I know what these first question is going to be. What's up with Vito? <laughs> and, you know, the fun is over. The fun is done with that. You know, Vito just needs to come out and make a legit statement. It's not so much if the door is open or the door is closed. It's just that him and I... You know, individuals have just decided we're not going to be on stage together as White Line, but there's nothing more that I would love to rekindle our songwriting team because we were one person at that time. And that, that and, and when we sit and write songs, we don't talk about anything about, but just the song.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, and it's obvious that songcraft means so much to you, and and I think that's what we love about these songs, and that's why they are still alive to this day. And so, so well, just because, you know, the the passion that you two put into it is obvious.
2: Well, I mean, that that is probably you know there are a lot of people that can show the wealth from their from their career and stuff like that. The the strength of the songs. Um, even though they don't pay the rent, is a proud moment, and 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 you st- almost started the interview with talking about the lyrical content, and not not having to go out and sing some cheesy sexual lyrics when you're seventy years old and things like that, and and you know shake your bum and make a fool out of yourself. <laughs> I think where it happens with authors. It happens with with quality actors that they grow gracefully old. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with it in rock and roll. Um, But everybody tries to, you know, keep drinking from the fountain of youth and simply can accept that they're not 27 anymore. You know, we totally accept it. When football players, hockey players baseball players, basketball players limp off the field and saying, that's it, I'm done. Because they've just been pounded and pounded. But when rock and roll walk on stage at 8:75, you go, okay, maybe it's time. But yeah,
1: there's so many. I mean, but that's the, but you know, like, and like sports, I mean, rock and roll is such a part of the lifestyle. Like the it's in your blood. So, I mean, you have somebody have to do it yeah and it keeps it, it's young doesn't the, it
2: but you don't you don't you don't you don't want to be elvis's last week <laughs> you don't want to be the person carried off the uh, you know the states throwing up you, you don't want to be the one going out one thing is losing your voice because of a cold or or, or something else another thing is going out there and croaking your way through uh, your, your the fee you're being paid and then the same, the same the next night. It's not allowed in any other field of, of 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 anything, workforce, anything like that. It's just so I just don't want to be part when rock and roll become comedy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because yeah. rock and roll to me, my heroes, the pictures that I have on the walls. Of of John Lennon or David Bowie or Freddie Mercury of Phil Lyon or Phil Lynner the Springsteen and Tom Petty, they did not, they have not left that uh, that that you know last uh, show with me. man their performance have been stellar all through their life. And and uh, even though I cannot compare myself to to giants, I'm not hitting the stage if I can perform under a certain quality, even with an acoustic guitar in a pizzeria.
1: <laughs> well, Mike, we have yeah. loved talking to you so much. And uh, and and I do hope that you are able to continue your career for many, many years. And so please tell everybody how they can find you, how they can find the new album and how they keep up with you.
2: Well, I mean, true fans will always find the way. You know, I'm not a big fan of constantly posting stuff on the on, on my Facebook and and being, you know, the the used car salesman and bye 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 bye. You know, I mean, the album songs of White Line will be out uh, April 14th. It's not like the old days where we used to go into the the big record stores and 500 people would be waiting out in line to get the album signed. Now it's stuff like that. And and I, I recently found out that I'm really not a a, a, a streaming artist that I can see that most of the people that follow me and love my music actually buy physical music. and and I'm really pleased with that. So, you know, um, of course, I sell my album on the road after the show. I always come out, greet people. I'm still able to do that. Uh, that there's not that many people. but and it's it's all it's all part of the journey. you know, i'm I embrace it, man. and I'm, I, you know, I'm for for most days happy when I go to bed.
1: Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. We've appreciated every minute of it, and we look forward to talking to you again. But we wish you nothing but the best in the future. Thanks, and, a lot, man. And, and, thanks, a lot, man. You know what? I say everybody go buy the album because because I love it so. There. Yeah, yeah it's you know, I mean,
2: it's, it's. I'm proud of it.
1: As you should be. So, Mike Tramp, thank you so much, and and we'll talk to you again. Yeah. pleasure.
2: Thank you guys. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs>
3: Crying tonight Are you feeling alright Beautiful peace